The text for this morning's sermon comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It can be found on page 1,439 of the Pew Bible. 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. text is so replete with prophetic words for Bethlehem, it's really hard for me yesterday to know where to jump in. And as I was praying, I just picked one that the Lord really pressed on my heart, and I want to go straight to it. And then, after I deal with it briefly, kind of step back and get the bigger picture in these three verses and try to see it in its wider uh, context and let some of the other words perhaps just have a brief exposure that the Lord might use them powerfully for us. The one that came home to me perhaps with greatest strength, I would put under the banner of spiritual fatalism. Spiritual fatalism. It's a deadly thing in the church. It's a tragic thing in the church. It's the belief or the feeling that you're stuck with the way you are. Spiritual fatalism says, this is all I'll ever experience of God, where I am right now, my Christian life. This is the level of spiritual intensity that I, I have and I will never have anymore. I see other people with strong desires. I hear the way they pray. I see the way they love their devotions. I watch their intensity of obedience. I will never be like that. Why? Well, just because, just because, just just because that's the way I am. Spiritual fatalism. It's the feeling that genetic forces, families of origin, present circumstances are just too strong to allow me to ever become more zealous for God. Titus 2.14, more fervent for God, Romans 12.12, more delighted in God, Psalm 37.4, more hungry for Christ, John 6.35, more at home with spiritual things, Romans 8.5, more bold, 2 Timothy 1.7, more constant, more joyful, more hopeful. I will never be that way, no matter what the Bible says. It's just me. That's spiritual fatalism. And it's deadly. It's tragic. I'm just stuck. It takes away hopes. It takes away dreams. It takes away and squashes the excitement in life because life is growth or it's death. It's growth. It's change or it's death. Spiritual fatalism is an awful, awful thing. Unto salvation, this text says. Grow into salvation. We're going to get there in a minute. I don't like the translation, grow in respect to salvation in the NASB. I don't think the 
NIV gets it right either. Literally, it's grow into salvation. There is one way to salvation and it's growth only. You grow into salvation or you die. And therefore, spiritual fatalism is not a personality trait. It is deadly. It is deadly. It's like, like saying to a little gawky 13-year-old girl who feels her body's all out of proportion, well, it's just the way you are. And you'll always be that way. When in fact, everybody knows she will not always be that way. She's made to grow up. That's physical fatalism. It's wrong. Spiritual fatalism is ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times worse because the issues at stake are so much greater. And though our bodies reach a certain level of maturity, then they go back. We go backwards. I'm on the way down physically at 48. I'm not on the way up. Spiritually, I'm on the way up. And I will never go down. I will go after God every day of my life and say no to yesterday. I will not settle for what I have been. I don't want to be a spiritual fatalist. I will never settle for what I am. Ever. I am on my way to glory and God's going to do it. And you are too. Unless you buy into the demonic lie that you're stuck. And it's too bad. You're not stuck if this text is true. You haven't even seen it in the text yet. You're just hearing what I heard so far. Thousands of people, year after year live without passion for God and without zeal and without love for His name, without any joy in His presence, without any hope in His promises, without any constancy in His fellowship. And they say, when they see others, well, that's just the way I am. And they settle in like like a little adolescent who has pimples until he's 80. It won't happen unless something dreadful happens in your spiritual life. Life. It's not the way God made you to be. Now, this text commands us not to be spiritual fatalists. Peter says in verse 2, 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies, long, which is just another word for desire, crave in the NIV is good. Long for the pure milk of the word that or spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. What that means, that command to desire and long and crave is that you are not stuck without cravings. You're not stuck without cravings, or God's a liar, or a manipulator, or a deceiver, to come to us and command us, you don't have desires for the Word? Have desires! (laughs) Long for the Word! 
long for it, want it, crave it, crave it, crave it. Now, is that the word of a fatalist? Get them if you don't have them. Now, that's amazing. That's amazing. Command to desire. A command to feel what you do not feel. Like, is this the handle, Lord? Is this the handle? Oh, I feel it now. I will obey. What is this command to desire the Word? My whole problem, Lord, is I don't. Tell me to do it. I don't. I want. What is this? If anything, it is a non-fatalistic word. If I don't feel the way the psalmist feel, like a heart pants after the flowing stream, so my soul pants for you, O God. If I don't feel it, well, I, that's just the way I am. I'm not a, par, I'm not a deer-like person. I'm a camel. And we, and we, and we chortle. There are camel types and there are deer types. Camels just walk around in the desert and are real scruffly on the outside and don't get anybody excited and that's just the way I am. And deers, they go leaping through the snow and they get thirsty and they find water and they drink and they leap again and, well, I'm not a deer. I'm a fatalist. And God says to us in the desert, desire, get it, get it, get it. Now, is he a, what is he? What, what is God doing to us in a word like that? When you don't have it and he says, get it. My whole problem, Lord, is I don't have the Strength to desire. I don't desire. That's my problem. I'm a camel. Like commanding the lame to walk. Hmm. Hmm. Who, who could do that? Who could just walk up to a man who's paralyzed and say, walk? Nobody could do that. That's, that's abuse. That's manipulation of, of that poor person. Say, walk! Somebody did it once. And he walked. I was listening to Corey Ten Boom on a tape yesterday. And she quoted a poem from uh, John Bunyan. I'd never heard this little four-line poem before. It's the best summary of the difference between the law and the gospel that I've ever heard. I'll quote it for you. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Chills go up and down my back. That is so profound. 
You want to know biblical theology? You want to know the unity of the Bible? Learn a four-line poem from John Bunyan, probably written in jail, where most good things have been written in the Bible, too. The old covenant, the law, gave commands. Run, John, run. And by and large, the divine enabling to break out of the frozen, dead, rebellious depravity of our hearts was not given under the old covenant, by and large. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Therefore, we are duty-bound to run. We ought to run, but we can't run. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we are condemned. The law is a condemning power. It is a curse when it does not meet with running and faith. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly. I'm sure. And gives us wings. There are a lot of people who want to distinguish the gospel from the law in saying the gospel has no command. The gospel is not conditional. Wrong. Its commands are harder, not easier than the Ten Commandments. Read the Sermon on the Mount, or if you think that's dispensationally Old Covenant, read Romans 12. You want to be slain in the Spirit? Different way, kind. You want to be slain with a curse? Read Romans 12 without the Holy Spirit in your life. And you'll be knocked down pretty good. There's no difference between the law and the gospel in terms of commandments. That is, one giving commandments and the other not. One having conditions and the other having no conditions. The difference is, it bids us fly and gives us the Holy Spirit. Wings. This is deliverance from spiritual fatalism. It's a theological issue whether you're a fatalist or not in your life. Whether you say, I'm stuck, whether you say, that's just the way I am, whether you have a vision for growth and change and becoming what you are not in ten years than what you were ten years ago. That's a theological issue of whether you believe this text. Your genetic makeup, your dysfunctional family of origin, your present circumstances, your health and all other things will not hinder the wings of God. If you are bent on flying. The question is, are you bent on it? That's what the text says. Get bent on it. Desire the word. Desire it. Desire it. Desire it. Long for it. Do not settle until you have it burning in your life. What this text says is that just as essential as having the desires for the Word is the trust in God that when He commands a thing, He'll do it. Now, let me say that again because I think we missed the second one. Just as important as hearing that we are to have certain desires 
is the confidence or the trust in God that He does not command His people in vain. He doesn't speak words like politicians that just fall on the ground with no power to bring them to pass. The most non-fatalistic word that a theologian outside the Bible has ever spoken was spoken by St. Augustine in his Confessions, chapter 10, section 40, which goes like this, O love that ever burnest and art never quenched, O charity, my God, and kindle me, thou commandest continence, that means sexual self-control, Thou commandest continence, grant what thou commandest, and command what thou wilt. He bids us fly and gives us wings. Long for the milk of the Word the way a baby longs for milk. This is not a text about new Christians. Don't confuse it with 1 Corinthians 3. This is a text about all Christians who should always long for God like a baby longs for milk. It's an analogy. Babies long, you should long. How do babies long? About every three or four hours. And with what intensity? Enough to wake you up at night. Two or three times. Long for the Word that way. That's the point. Long for the Word that way. And if you say, but I don't. (laughs) Yes, but don't settle for it. Don't ever bring in this old demonic thing. That's just the way I am. God does not say to a lame man, walk and have the lame man say, I am a lame man. That is not a proper response to the God of this universe who commands you to walk. You may not have any idea how you could fly. You may not have any idea how you could walk. You may not have any idea how a camel can become a deer. That's not the issue. Faith is the issue. Faith in God is the issue. If you tell me to long and crave and desire the Word the way a baby goes, until he gets it or dies then you will not settle in and say, I'm just stuck, or that's just the way I am. You won't. We ought to pray like Augustine. Long for the milk of the Word. Command what you will. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Command me to walk. Command me to fly. Command me to have desires I don't have. But Lord, give them to me. Give them to me. And you never stop praying that. And when the desires come... You pray for more, more, more. That's my first prophetic word that I heard. Now let me put it in the wider context of the verses. The text begins, verse 1, with the word therefore. We all know what that means. It means what he's about to say is based on what he has already said. Now what was that? What did he just say? Forget chapter divisions. Paul didn't have chapter divisions. Peter didn't have chapter divisions. No chapter divisions in the Bible are original. Okay, They were added hundreds of years later by editors. We all know that, don't we? 
Chapter and verse divisions were not in the Bible when it was written. They are often misleading. Try to ignore them as you memorize and as you study. Therefore, what had he said? He had just said, in verse 23, 24, and 25, you've been born again through the Word of God. And the point, remember, last week was the Word of God is imperishable, the Word of God is living, the Word of God is active, it's not like flowers, it's not like grass, it lasts forever, therefore you're going to last forever if you've been born by that kind of seed, if you've been conceived and brought forth by an imperishable seed, you are imperishable, therefore, putting away all guile, deceit, Malice, envy, slander, be like a baby, and long for that word which got you born again. See the connection now? Now, got to be careful here. I know the text that a lot of you are looking at doesn't have the word, word in it. In verse 2, it says, long for pure spiritual milk, period, no word. The NASB says, long for the milk of the word. Is the NASB right? That's a, tra- that's a paraphrase, not a translation. Shame on them. NASB is supposed to be a nice literal translation, and they got paraphrasic right there. Literally, it says, long for the spiritual milk. Boom. we got to decide what the milk is. The NASB says it's the Word. Is it the Word? Well, if you look backwards, it looks like that's a good, that's a good translation. That's a good interpretation, because verse 23 to 25 says... You've been born again by the living and abiding Word of God, therefore, long for the spiritual milk. And it'd be natural to say, okay, um, this baby, this newborn baby, was conceived and brought forth by the Word of God, and here it is going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's he want? What should he want? And the natural interpretation would be, well, the Word. The Word had the power to bring him forth, and now the Word has the power to sustain him and keep him in life. And I think that's right. However, however, if you say, well, let's check the context a little closer. Maybe there's some other clues to what the milk might be and go forward instead of backward. Something else comes in. Something, something different comes in. Let's go forward instead of backwards. Like newborn babes, um, long the way babies do, for the pure milk that by it you may grow into salvation if, or since, or now that, you have tasted, uh, oh, that's important, tasted the kindness of the Lord. Now what's the milk? What is it? The kindness of the Lord. Because the connection between tasting and hungering. This baby, see the logic? The, The logic is, like babies, long for and crave the pure spiritual milk since you have tasted the milk or the kindness of the Lord. So which is it now? Is it the Word reading backwards or the kindness of the Lord reading forward? So you put the whole thing together, it goes, since you were born again by the living and abiding Word and brought into being as a Christian, therefore... Lay aside all guile and long for the spiritual milk. If you stop right there, say, of the Word. But if you read forward and say, long for the spiritual milk of the Word that you may grow into salvation since or if you have tasted what you surely would now long for because it tastes so good, the kindness of the Lord. Well, here's my solution. 
Um, my solution is they, they are not at all contradictory because if you go back to verses 23 to 25 and say, now, how did they get born again? How did these babies come into existence? How did we come into existence as Christians? And it says, through the living and abiding word of God. But then at the end of verse 25, it says, this word is the gospel. Your version may not say that, but this is the word that was gospeled to you. Well, what's gospel? It's a message of kindness. It's a message of good news and happy news and exciting things about God. So it wasn't just kind of any old word that brought me forth, that created me a new person in Christ. It was it was the kindness of God mediated to me through the gospel, through the word. So my solution to what the milk is, is this. What you are to long for, you can say it in two ways, is the kindness of God transmitted to you through the Word of God. Or you could say, what you're to long for is the Word of God carrying to you the kindness of God. You won't know the kindness of God any other way but by His Word. And if you know His Word, you will taste His kindness. So the kindness of the Lord, the beauty of the Lord, the the goodness of the Lord is the milk mediated through His Word. That word had a power to bring you into being. Now, just ponder that for just a closing minute here. That word brought you into being. Ephesians 1.19 says, Paul is praying. He's praying. Lord, open the eyes of the hearts of believers so that they would know the power which is at work in them. Now, what, what kind of prayer is that? That's a prayer that says a lot of believers don't know what's going on inside them. They don't even know how they got to be a believer. They're not Calvinists. Which simply means they don't know God did it. God did it. We were brought forth through the living and abiding Word of God by God. Verse 3. He caused us to be born again. But the agency was the Word. So Paul is praying, Oh, Lord God, help believers to know the power that's at work in them. They don't even exist in their own strength. They exist by a power. And then he says, It is a power that accords with that which brought Jesus out of the grave and established Him at the right hand of the Father and now gives Him sovereignty over the universe. In here? In here? And it's possible to have it in here and not know it. Yes, he wouldn't pray that they'd know it if they could know it all the time. Fatalists deny it. Believers affirm it. The Word of God can do two things. It can bring you into existence and it can keep on giving you deer-like desires and experiences with God that you never dreamed you could have. Your mom and dad might have told you a hundred times you'll never make it. They might have told you every day of your life, you're flat, you're dumb, you don't have any feeling, you always say the wrong thing, and they are liars. When you become new, when the Holy Spirit moves in on your life, and God Almighty Himself says to the lame, walk, and to the camel, be like a deer, 
and to the people with their feet frozen in the ice of sin, fly. That's God talking. It's not man talking. It's not any human counselor talking. It's God. And he is no fatalist. One last section here. In verse 1, there is a destructive side to the word of God. Not only does it bring you into existence, and not only can it give you desires that you never thought you could have and make your spiritual experience so far out in front of where you are now, you never dreamed it could be. Not only can he do that and will he do that, but he also in the process must destroy some things. And if you will not join him in that destruction, you will not have the desires. So the participle that begins verse 1 is absolutely crucial. Therefore, putting aside, getting rid of, destroying all malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Getting rid of that, now, desire. Desire, the milk. What this means is that you must fight on two fronts. If you want to grow with God, you must fight on the positive front. Give me that desire at any cost. You have commanded it. Give what thou commandest. I want it. I will not settle without it. And you must fight on the negative side. I hate slander. I hate guile. I hate deceit. I hate malice. I hate envy. I will do anything. I'll cut off my hands. I'll gouge out my eye. I will do anything not to be a deceiver. And if you don't do that, you will not know God. Your desires will remain flat and you will not grow. Malice, a desire to hurt someone with words or deeds. Guile, a desire to gain some advantage or preserve some position by deceiving others. Hypocrisy, a desire to be known for what you are not. Envy, a desire for some privilege or benefit that belongs to another with resentment that they have it and you don't. Slander, the desire for revenge and self-enhancement, often driven by the deeper desire to deflect attention from our own failings. The worse light we can put somebody else in, the less we appear dark. Malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, slander. These we must destroy as a part of going hard after the milk. If you want to know the kindness of the Lord and taste it and revel in it and enjoy it and grow in it and experience all of God, you must turn the most vicious attack. I'm getting that from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he says, cut off your hand or gouge out your eye. You take up warfare against guile and hypocrisy in your life or you will die. You will remain here and to remain is to die because you were created in Christ to grow. Peter's point, I think, is this. Don't think that guile and hypocrisy can flourish in the same heart with the desire to know and enjoy the kindness of God. They will not flourish together. They will contradict each other and the one will die as the other lives. The result in verse 2, you will grow in respect to salvation. Literally, you will grow into salvation. 
Grow into salvation. Grow up into salvation. I would love to spend another half hour here relating this to verse 5. Kept by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. But I'm just going to lay it. You take that home this afternoon and take verse 5 and verse 2, 2, 2, and 1, 5, and lay them beside each other and ask yourself, now what's the relationship between faith leading to salvation and growth in desires for the kindness of God leading to salvation? And maybe you can preach your own sermon. Let's pray. Lord, my heart's desire for all of us in this room is that we would fight on both fronts now as non-fatalists, non-fatalists. That we would wake up in the morning and go to bed at night saying, I may be a camel, but I'm not always going to be a camel. My feet may be frozen now, but I'm going to run. My hands may be tied now, but I'm going to lift them someday. My voice may be low now, but it's going to rise. My affections may be small, but they're going to be great. Because, Father, you commanded it. Give, Father, now, I pray, what you have commanded. In the mighty, powerful, sovereign name of your Son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.